So welcome everyone to another episode of Human-Centered Security. Today, I am thrilled to welcome Adam Shostak, who is the president of Shostak and Associates, right? Yes. Founder, founder, president. You, you know, it's, it's, a, it's not a venture sort of startup, so it seems a little strange to call it a founder. Doer of all things. <laughs> janitor and test tube washer <laughs> so i i first learned about adam when i bought the book threat modeling designing for security which was hugely influential in my security journey and i'm not just saying that to to <laughs> make adam feel better it really was and it was the whole reason that i reached out to him um he has a new book in the works that maybe he'll tell us about a little later um but yeah, Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to talk to you about threat modeling, what it is, how we can apply it, especially for the audience of UX designers and researchers. So welcome and thank you. Thank you. Do you want to start by briefly telling us a little bit about yourself? I feel like I didn't give you the best bio, but you know, just tell us how you got here. Sure. Sure. So let's see. In the late 90s, I was working as a systems administrator and at a medical research lab. And more and more of my work involved security and privacy because medical research. And I discovered that they were the parts of my job that I really enjoyed. They were the things that were for me, intellectually stimulating and the piece where I could contribute because I'm not a doctor. I don't, I can't do the medical research part. And so I ended up becoming a consultant and I was working for a bank on what we now think of as application security. I was doing code reviews and that that opportunity to think about how do we develop the things that we're developing here at the bank in a way that's safe and secure was really great. From there, I moved to a couple of startups. I helped create vulnerability scanning. I did privacy work. And then, long story short, one of my startups didn't go so well. I joined Microsoft for what I thought was going to be two, three years and stayed most of a decade. While I was there, I had the opportunity to learn how to scale what I did, right? I don't scale to helping Windows threat model, never mind Windows and Office and Xbox and all the other things. And so how do I take these things, which I had learned in really an apprenticeship model, and make them accessible to tens of thousands of people shipping software that's in use in so many different situations. And out of that experience, being on the secure development lifecycle team, being responsible for threat modeling, I discovered that the easiest way to sort of bring together all of what I did was to write a book. 
which which should never be the easiest way to do anything, but it really was. And so, you know, time goes on. There were some reorgs. I decided I was going to leave. And as I left, I had written this threat modeling book, which you've said nice things about. Thank you. And people just started calling me and saying, can you help us? And so instead of the startup I was going to work on, I ended up in this role as training, consulting, really helping people bring to life the ideas that are there on paper. And so that's my, that's what I do now. That's awesome. I liked what you said towards the beginning about you were thinking about how, how can I apply my skills to security and to protecting this information? And maybe I don't have the training as a doctor, but like, there's gotta be something that I can do to contribute to this effort. Because that is exactly how I felt when I started to think about security. First, I thought, what can I possibly contribute? Like, I feel sort of helpless. And then I realized, wait a second, my set of skills around user experience could actually improve security outcomes. So it's really, it's nice to hear that there's kind of a parallel theme there. Yeah. And, and you know, I know for your listeners in this human-centered security podcast, they get it. But let's let's really make this concrete. I had an experience recently, which was I was setting up two-factor authentication and using an authenticator app. And I got to this point where there was a screen that said, print this for your records. Here are your recovery codes. And so I did. And the little recovery code thing sat on my printer for a couple of days. And then I pulled it out and looked at this piece of paper, which had all of these hexadecimal strings on it. And I know what they are. But you know what I don't know? I don't know you what count that it goes to. to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because nobody had done a usability review on this process and said, wow, so that the person prints out the paper and then they stick in a file cabinet for six months. Or maybe they take a screenshot, it's sitting on their phone. Maybe we should advise them not to do that. Anyway, I digress there. But the filing cabinet, right? I pull out this piece of paper. What site is this for? Right. Which version of this is it? You know, maybe let's put a date on here. Right. It says this is the version of August 19th, and it replaces the one you printed on June 5. Right. <laughs> so if I pull out two, I know that one is valid and the other I can just, can I throw it away? Actually, from a usability perspective, can I throw this away? Should I th should I shred? There's the word. Should I shred the one from June 5th? These are usability questions that enable me not only to be secure, to work through predictable scenarios, but also to be confident in my security. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great example. You know, and it... I think sometimes designers and user experience practitioners think like it's a login screen or you know it's a, it's an onboarding process where we're setting up two factor authentication like pretty 
easy set of steps, like seems pretty straightforward. And I think sometimes they don't put a lot of thought into it. But if you really break it down in the way that you just described, there is a ton of thought that goes into it, probably a ton of testing that should go into it as well to really uncover some of those, those pieces that, um, you know, given the set of circumstances are going to be very frustrating for the end user. And not only thinking about that moment, right, and making it as easy to sign up or as easy to onboard as possible, but thinking, you know, six months down the road when that person has gotten a new phone or, you know, they threw it in the toilet and it no longer works and they need those codes, but they don't know where the heck they are and what account they're associated with. So that's, I think that's a fantastic example. Well, well, thank you. And, and you know, these suffuse in the same way that usability goes across everything that we build. Security can go across everything that we build, and we can build it either in a way that is, and I'm using the word broadly, accessible understandable that gives us the affordances we need mm -hmm. or not so yeah yeah um you know i was thinking through trying to find like really practical examples like the one that you just described of like where the user experience of security bubbles to the surface like where are those tangible moments where that kind of make or break the experience when it comes to security and they often seem, and you talk about this in your book, um, in the way that you cleverly, you know, did the chapters, you know, like authentication. So like when someone's signing up for the first time, like that's a pretty important moment, you know, security moment that you should be thinking through from the user experience, experience standpoint. Um, anytime that you're like trying to guide the user or you're, you're issuing a warning and saying like, hey, like maybe, you know, introducing a moment of friction where you want the user to pause and think about what they're doing. Like there are kind of these particular moments that really are very critical and should be thought about um, ideally as soon as, you know, as you're creating the product and, and tested and iterated upon. 100%. You know, the, if we think about it before we've written code, the opportunity to make change is amazing. And there's, there's this lovely product whose name escapes me that is designed to help you draw wireframes. And it looks mm -hmm. like you're drawing in crayon so that people think about the concepts that you're going to have rather than the finished product. Yes, and balsamic. Balsamic, yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah. We can do... If we're th the reason that that's so powerful, I think, and your your listeners probably have stronger opinions about this than I do, um, but I think it's powerful because it sends the message that everything is fluid, that redesign is cheap and invited. And if the engineering team goes and selects libraries to use for password strength or designs an authorization mechanism or designs a warning in a way where usability, user experience is not part of it, then 
we we run into this situation where the designer shows up and they're excited to participate. No, we couldn't do that because this thing doesn't connect to that thing and it would be hard to re-engineer. Absolutely. Yeah, and actually we're we're skipping ahead a little bit because that's like the kind of final piece that I want to talk about. Um, well, let's, the let's, most... let's, 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 <laughs> let's call it foreshadowing. <laughs> yes, we're foreshadowing um, because it's arguably the most important, and this will get folks to listen to the whole episode, right? <laughs> it's arguably the most important <laughs> aspect of, of what we're going to be talking about. But the first thing that I want to talk about um, is what is threat modeling exactly and what is the value in doing it? So assuming you know our users or our listeners don't necessarily know what threat modeling is, it might be like the first time they've heard that term. So mm -hmm. explain what it is, what's the value in doing it? Sure. So threat modeling is using models to anticipate future threats. And a threat, we use the word threat in a bunch of ways in security. The way I'm using it is the promise of future violence. So they threatened to beat me up if I didn't give them my lunch money, right? That's a threat. And, and it also includes what we might do about it. I might give over my lunch money. I might go and complain to the school. I might do some, I might travel with friends. And so threat modeling is saying, hey, what threats does this system face in the future? And it's tools, techniques, processes to help us reliably anticipate those things. So when I said I helped people do this, it can't be, and, and y'all can't see this, but I'm, I'm making a really scrunchy face and thinking really hard about the future and rubbing my temples. That doesn't help anybody. Um, so we can use techniques. We can, for example, sketch, this is the architecture of the system. And then we can go through that sketch and say, oh, look, there's a boundary between the user and the system. So there's spoofing threats in each direction. The data flow is subject to tampering threats. And the ways we do this, we can get fairly technical, we can get really deep, but the overarching approach of, you know, what can go wrong? What are we going to do about it? These are questions that anyone can ask, everyone should ask, and everyone can participate. And it's something that, just to relate it to an experience that UX people might have just in general, not related to security, it's something that they're asking at the start of any project anyway, any new initiative, any new product, like what could go wrong? What are, what are the risks of us launching something that no one wants or that someone can't use? Like, even if they don't maybe ask those specific questions, like those are the things they're thinking of and they're trying to think of ways to mitigate those risks through user research, through usability testing, you know, mm -hmm. different things that you can do to minimize the risk of producing something of little value or that people can't use. Exactly, exactly. So how, how do you actually find the threads? So, and I don't know, like, is that a, the, the right way to say that? Like, how, sure. how do you, yeah, how do you so, locate the threats? How do you find the threats? <laughs> okay, so 
so let me geek out on the sub question for a second okay yeah yeah, yeah. I think about discovery, I think about enumeration, I think about analysis, and I don't know which term we should use, honestly. I don't know which one really captures what we're doing when we, to get specific about how we do it, there's a couple of key structures that we often use. One is a mnemonic, STRIDE. STRIDE stands for spoofing, tampering, repudiation, info disclosure, denial of service, and expansion of authority. And these six threats are prompts that we can use to think about how might someone tamper with this. Repudiate's a funny word. It means deny responsibility for. Think about porch pirates, for example. Was the package left on my porch? Did someone steal it? Am I lying to the company that left it there? Um, I might repudiate the package was never delivered. The delivery driver might say, no, I delivered it. Look, I took a picture of it on the porch. Oh, that's not my porch. And so we can get into these things. There's other approaches. Um, In general security first, we often talk about kill chains. It sounds a little scary. What it means is just the set of steps that an attacker will go through. So they might do some reconnaissance. They might develop an exploit, deliver it, see it run. Then they install software on your system. They persist. And then once they're persistent, they can do things as you and actually achieve their objectives. But to do that, there was a set of predecessor steps they went through. And we can talk about what those are. We can talk about how the sorts of things that they have to do in a way that enables someone who is not a security maven to go do this. And then in usability, there are techniques we can apply, right? We can think about a ceremony and a ceremony is we're doing this security thing. It has some formalism to it. And we can ask questions like, how does someone know they're in a ceremony? Where do they get the information on which we expect them to rely? That was an ugly sentence. We expect them in the ceremony to know some things. Where do they learn those things? yeah, I just to jump in, I literally just got done with a workshop where the designers were kind of, they were kind of going through a, a a pseudo threat modeling exercise, just like very, very high level, like what like assuming that something went wrong and this company is in the news for security, a uh, security breach, like what what happened? And they were talking about naturally uh like design systems and standardization with design. And I was like, actually that that reminds me of like of ceremonies like how does the user know that this is you and what sort of standardized way have you shown them in the past that it is you so that it rings alarm bells in their head when it looks different is that kind of what you're saying yeah absolutely you uh, i love what you just said love it (laughs) and what i love about it is you're drawing on the natural human thing of this looks different and therefore it rings alarm bells. 
I don't need to teach people about security. They have this spidey sense, if you will, of not sure things are right. How do we as designers, as security people, take advantage of that? How do we, you know, I was talking to someone a little while ago, and they showed me their institutional instructions for report efficient email. <laughs> let me let me go behind the glass wall here <laughs> and say we were talking about something, and she said, Oh my God, it's so hard to report a phishing email. Let me explain to you what's going on. And so she turns her lap. This was pre-COVID, so we're talking in, in person. She turns her laptop and says, let me dig out the email. And it takes her a good three minutes to search out the email, right? She's trying these different search terms. She's looking in different folders. It's, it's cringeworthy, not from she's doing it wrong but from what she has to do and then she gets to here's the instructions and, and our listeners can't see me moving my hands up to make a big open space <laughs> um but it's like a over a screen of instructions of what the person is supposed to do who that who has time for this right so we've got to make it easy. Why don't I just have a button that says, I think this is a phishing email? Right, right. Because the other action is just to press delete. I mean, assuming that they don't fall for the phishing email, right? So like I'm choosing between delete and this whole long laundry list of things I'm supposed to do. Like, <laughs> what do you think the user is going to do? Like, <laughs> Exactly. And, and this is why I think this is so important. But I did want to go back to one thing real quick. Yeah. You said they were they were doing a pseudo threat modeling session. I'd like to strike the word pseudo. Okay. <laughs> right? They were threat modeling. Yes. They were thinking yes. in the abstract about what to do. Yeah. And you just and, and since we've talked a little bit before this, I'm I'm going to put you on the spot here <laughs> for educational purposes only. You were diminishing your ability and their ability to do this work. It's not that hard. You can do it. Yes. And I, you know, and that is ultimately what I wanted to get out of this. Like it, it can, I think when you see, well, I'll, I'll speak from experience. When I saw the word threat modeling, I was like, wow, this seems like something that I can't do. But mm -hmm. once I started reading it and I, I read through some of the examples, like specifically with stride, I was like, oh, like, I get this. Like, I've thought through some of these scenarios before, or I've been in these situations before, and there's no reason why I can't talk to an engineer about this. Um, so hopefully this episode starts to break down some of those barriers. Um, so, like, what, what do you consider a UX person or UX practitioner's role in threat modeling? Like, where do they come in? So one of the things I haven't actually done here, let me define what I think of as threat model. I'm going to be okay. stupid. Yeah, yeah. So I always think about four questions. What are we working on? What can go wrong? What are we going to do about it? Did we do a good job? I see no reason that a UX person can't fully participate in or even drive those questions. So 
as we're working on a design on the the human factors design, I can ask what can go wrong, right? Maybe the wrong person will show up here and try and log in as Heidi. Maybe there'll be a fake version of the site. What do I do about it? And here we're talking about things that we often talk about under the label of phishing. But we can think about those, and you as a UX person can think about those. You can ask what can go wrong. You can ask what are we going to do about it. And you can ask, did we do a good job? And one of the things that UX people are phenomenal at is not believing their own ideas about did we do a good job? You know, when I started doing usability work, I was like, oh, I don't need to set up a usability test. We thought about this stuff. It's all fine. Yeah, that was young Adam. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that you talk about in in threat modeling in the book is that in addition to the model of systems and the model of the threats, and I'm quoting you here, considering human factors as a third model to the mix, the model of the people, uh, I highlighted this because I was like, yes, like <laughs> this makes so much more sense. It adds that level of complexity. I, I'm hoping you can elaborate on a little bit more on what you mean by this so I don't put words in your mouth and any recommendations you have for dealing with this complexity. Yeah, so, so what I mean by this is we treat people as a group, right? We treat people with personas. We treat people with you are not the user. And so what we're doing is we're abstracting the people and we're thinking about them in roles, in life circumstances, in whatever makes sense to try to help them engage with what we're doing. And so we, we can bring structure to that and we do right and and you and ux have structures that you use and one of the things and you, you said that when you saw threat modeling you felt a little intimidated by it and thank you for being transparent about that in in a way i wish i could rename it but it has a long history in our field so it's hard to rename it we all do this and we all have something to bring to bear. And if you just let the security people go off and be security people, you end up with stuff that looks like the certificate warnings in browsers in the early 2000s. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to summarize what, what we were just talking about in, in terms of the human humans or human factors as a third bottle to the mix in addition to the system and the threats the the takeaway um that i got was look ux people you're already sort of doing this already like you're thinking about personas or archetypes and you're thinking of user journeys like you're trying to take a lot of information 
and, and kind of package it in a way that makes sense and can create a shared understanding with the rest of the team so that mm-hmm. you can make these product decisions. And it's sort of, it's sort of an extension or like a, in addition to that, like it's, it's kind of baked into it. Right. So for the personas, it's maybe how the, the persona, um, what their expectations are when it comes to security and privacy or what sort of context would influence their security behaviors or behaviors that relate to security. Kind of thinking it just like through that lens. Does that sound right? What can go, so first, what are we working on? Oftentimes, when we're doing this from a technical security perspective, we answer that with something like data flow diagrams or message sequence diagrams. User journeys are another way of answering the question, what can go wrong, what are we working on, excuse me. What can go wrong? Lack of familiarity, lack of good affordance. And so the the reason I frame threat modeling in terms of questions is it lets us be engaged with different communities of practice as we're answering those questions. So the things that you're doing as a UX professional define what are we working on? What can go wrong? What are we going to do about it? And because we start with these questions, we create a, my goal is to create a space in which interdisciplinary work can happen. And we can all bring to the table, this is the way I think of this. How do you think of this? Mm -hmm. The other thing that I realized as I was creating these workshops is designers designers don't have the answers to all of the things that they necessarily need answers to in order to make informed user experience decisions around security. So really you have to, in order to answer the questions, you have to talk to engineering, you know, um, AppSec, you know, other teams in order to, to answer some of these questions. So providing some, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Providing some sort of like structure and like even just, here are some slides and like, here's some Miro boards that you all can just have at it. And like, just have that sort of structure, I think kind of takes the barrier, like um, takes the barriers down, (laughs) removes removes some barriers to the process. So one of the, one of the things that I learned from the agile world is that there's no time for unnamed work. Mm-hmm. And so work like persona development or backlog grooming gives us a space to say something, how to say this, something that sounds more businessy that we need to talk about this stuff. Can we make some time to talk about this? Yeah. We need to execute on a user persona analysis project. Oh, okay. Um, we need to make sure there's time for backlog grooming. We need to make sure there's time for retrospectives. We need threat modeling can be a space for the 
collaborative interteam work. One of the things that used to happen when it was security expert led was because there were a, there was really a shortage of security experts. We used it as a way to get everyone into the room together. And then these security experts would go to a whiteboard and sketch some things. And I, I remember one of my bosses saying to me, you know, when we used to do this, Adam, it was a whiteboard and notepad. And somehow that worked better than when we layered all of these structures on top of it. What did we lose? And what we lost was the we were using the security review, as we called it at the time, and don't call it a security review. I'm just going to leave it there. Um, <laughs> but we were using it as a way to drive collaboration, to bring people together from different parts of the organization. And in that room, they had an opportunity to have a conversation that they had no other opportunity for. And if we give people that, we can be inclusive, we can be collaborative. And by giving it a name and creating this language with these simple questions, we can really this is this is surprising. Here's here's the surprise reveal. We can be faster at delivering than not doing the work. Because when we don't do the work, and your UX community knows this, there's always time to do it over. Yeah, I mean, there are so many parallels between security and UX, you know, the idea that like, oh, we'll just do it later, you know, we'll just tack it on later. And it's like, no, later never comes. It's always so much harder to do it after the fact. Like, why can't you just build it in? Like, it's, it's so, it's like literally the same conversation. <laughs> yes. And this applies to a lot of the illities, right? It's not just usability or – but it's reliability. It's performance. But yes, we, we, all, we all go through these journeys. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about was this tying threat modeling – into an iterative design process. Mm -hmm. So assuming that the UX designers listening to this have an iterative design process, you know, have a human-centered design process, um, and, and that UX is not a one-off exercise. I'm assuming that threat modeling is not a one-off exercise. Um, so what are your recommend recommendations on ensuring threat modeling is both incorporated into like a human-centered design process and it's something that is ongoing it's not just like we do it once and we pat ourselves on the back and we're like okay we're done we front modeled <laughs> yay so every almost everyone these days is working iteratively and the the question that i start with of what are we working on is actually really carefully engineered a lot of people quote it as what are we building? Nope. Mm. That's waterfall. What are we working on? This sprint, this iteration, this improvement. And so from a UX perspective, 
maybe for example what we're working on what i'm what i as a developer am working on this sprint is i'm improving the speed of my sql code okay there is zero ux in there is zero ux impact right yes it's faster people will be happier we should measure how much faster it is and have some targets but I don't need to go through a design process to know that if I double or triple the speed of something, my users will be happier. A lot of the times we threat model are a little bit like that, right? Mm -hmm. We ask what can mm -hmm. go wrong with this sprint? Well, it doesn't have a lot of security impact. Yeah. If we just get into the habit of asking these questions, sometimes it turns out that, oh, we don't have a persona for company administrator for the back end to this cloud service that we're building. There's a lot of work to do here from both a security and a UX perspective and a secure usability perspective. So we can be iterative and we can focus on the question of what are we working on right now to help us do so yeah i love that answer i think that's that makes perfect sense and is you know part of that cyclical process and just seems very natural to incorporate it as part of that process awesome well i know we are getting to the end of our episode so i wanted to give you the opportunity to let folks know like what's the best way to get in touch with you and maybe you want to plug your new book i'm sure folks would want to hear about that too so in the interests of usability let me give one contact place okay which is which is associated with my new book super awesome. excited about this i'm excited too but the title <laughs> here the title is threats what every engineer should learn from star wars and the idea is that what we've been talking about, what these threats are, is not always obvious. It's not always something where there's one place to go learn. And so I'm writing what I hope is a fun, accessible book that's targeted towards every engineer, including usability engineers, to learn what you need to know about these threats. It's coming out next year. You can find it at threatsbook.com. There's a contact me form. You click on you click on the little side bits, you'll find Showstack and Associates' website. Um, but that's the best way to get in touch with me. You can you can see the awesome new cover, which I just revealed. And I got a sneak peek. Yeah, so so that's that's what's forthcoming. That's how to get in touch with me is threatsbook.com. Great. And I, I hope you don't mind me mentioning, but you have a great YouTube channel where you have little shorts of of some of the content in the book, right? And I personally really enjoyed those. So if you're excited about the book and you you need a little bit of content before it actually comes out, I would encourage you to go to the YouTube channel and, and check it out. So hopefully 
there's a discoverable you are there's a discoverable link on the web page that people can find and if not i'm going to ask you as a listener here to give me some usability feedback about how i can help you find that thing that heidi just mentioned and i know she's going to put a link into the, the podcast <laughs> yeah. but my hope is that it's findable from the from the website but as we discussed, usability testing is important, and I'm open to your feedback. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Adam, for joining me today. I learned a ton. I learned a ton from reading your book, and I appreciate you taking the time to share your wisdom and insights with my listeners. This was a blast. Thank you. <laughs>